0: Welcome to Musicians vs. the World. I'm very pleased today to introduce my guest, Dr. Keith Bradshaw from Southern Utah University. He was kind enough to join me to talk about his career and his composition and compositional style, where he gets his inspiration, and an interesting topic that we haven't really discussed on this show before, and that's spirituality in music. It's very interesting, very fascinating, so I hope that you enjoy it. Dr. Bradshaw currently serves as the Associate Dean of the College of Performing and Visual Arts and Professor of Music at Southern Utah University. He teaches courses in music theory, oral skills, analysis, composition, and orchestration. He received his Ph.D. in composition from the University of Minnesota and his master's and bachelor's from Brigham Young University. And prior to coming to SUU, he founded the music program at Southern Virginia University and served as chair of the Division of Arts. Compositionally, his music is contemporary but accessible and has been performed nationally and internationally. He has received numerous commissions and awards for his compositions, including a fellowship from the McKnight Foundation, two commissions from the Barlow Endowment, and winning the National Welcome Christmas Christmas Carol Contest from the American Composers Forum. He is currently composer-in-residence with the Orchestra of Southern Utah. In addition to composition, Dr. Bradshaw is the founding director of the Red Rock Singers, a mixed choir of 40 voices in Cedar City, Utah, and has conducted various college and community choirs. So, Keith, welcome! Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you. It's uh, an honor to... Be on your show,
0: and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and to talk to my audience. Um, you've had a very distinguished career, and I'm wondering: when you were young, did you always want to go into music? Is this where you thought you would be?
1: Uh, not at all. I, uh, as as a young boy, football was my passion, and you know, I started out at six years old taking piano. I begged my mom to take piano, and. Finally, she gave in when I turned six. She said, you have to wait till you're six. So I got playing the piano. And after two weeks, I thought, this is not nearly as fun as I wanted." To be.
0: <laughs> it's a lot of work.
1: And, and then it was, you know, kind of torture between having my mom make me practice and trying to get out of practicing. And I was so less until I looking back, I wish I would have stuck with it better and been more diligent. But Football was my love, and I wanted to be outside playing football.
0: <laughs> so, um,
1: finally, at, at the age of 12, I was playing trumpet in the band, and my mom said, Okay, you can quit. You'll regret it someday. He said, No, I won't. Yes, you will. And here I am, a music professor that regrets that I don't play the piano. <laughs> um, so, I never thought that I would be a musician uh-huh. uh, in my youth or even into high school. It wasn't something I was looking going into, but as I got older and, and more involved in music, uh, kind of figured this was where my best contribution was going to be. Uh, and specifically in teaching. So that's kind of how things went. I didn't, start out as a music major in college, had no idea what I wanted to do. I was looking at architecture. Uh I think math probably scared me away from that. (laughs) I still like architecture and have, uh, designed two homes that we've built and and lived in and have been very comfortable in. So, um, I, I like too many things and I'm not good at any of them. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's debatable. Um, no, so you didn't start out in college as a music major. How did you find your way there?
1: You know, I, I looked at a few different things. Uh, one of it, one of which was uh, teaching seminary. Oh, okay. And, uh, I even, I took some classes. I student taught, but in student teaching, I decided that high school was not where I wanted to be. And so at it was at that point I got interested in sound recording and reinforcement um, and majored in that to start with uh, starting, oh, probably my junior year. Oh, wow. I took a long time to graduate. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um,
1: and was going along and, and again felt like that really wasn't going to be the best path. It wasn't the lifestyle I wanted. So uh, it was at that point I'd been taking some composition classes and some other music classes as part of that recording major. And I was offered a scholarship in composition. Wow. And uh, one of the requirements was that I major in composition. Right. Mm -hmm. And I took it. My father was a composer, and so it wasn't anything too foreign.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And uh, from that point on, I was a composition major and finally graduated and uh, went on for a master's and a doctorate.
0: So you say your father, Meryl Bradshaw, was also a composer. Did that have any effect on you deciding to go into composition? Or was it more of like a, no, I want to be my own person. I don't want to follow in my dad's footsteps.
1: It was definitely an influence. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I really liked my environment growing up. Yeah. We went to concerts and, you know, we took a study abroad to Europe. My dad was one of the directors into Austria when I was nine years old, and that was just a fabulous experience, and I got to—I I kind of grew culturally to appreciate so many different things uh, that I would not have experienced otherwise. So I really liked the lifestyle that my dad had. He was a university professor, so that was very influential. My question was, and, and still is sometimes, "Am I any good at composing?" <laughs> and um, you know, it's—it's it's something I think every composer wrestles with of, of how to become better consistently right. but I really enjoy teaching I kind of felt like that was where my calling if you want to call it that uh, was was in teaching
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, composition and theory and helping young people develop their talents so that that's kind of what directed me that way and, and yes my father was a very big influence in that
0: mm-hmm. as was your mother
1: Yeah, they they both tried to discourage me from going into music.
0: Did they really? They
1: did because they knew how hard it was. Right. And how difficult it was to to get a living out of. Mm
0: -hmm. They
1: suggested uh, engineering. But you can see how successful they were in dissuading me. And uh, (laughs) uh, once I'd made my decision, they were very supportive. And it was a good family environment.
0: Right. And now you've created your own family environment with that because you married a pianist. I
1: did. And if you want to know who has the talent in the family, it's her. <laughs> um, I try and contribute, but she's really the one who's who's amazing. And our children, in spite of our uh, attempts to do what my parents tried to do and that was dissuade me from going into music, you know, we've kind of been very careful about how much pressure to put on our children. They've each right. had to take piano lessons. And they wanted to learn instruments to be in band in middle school and high. And so we've done all of that. Mm-hmm. And I think just from the example of, of seeing parents involved in that has been, you know, again, influential in their decisions. And we've had four children that have majored in music. One of them is no longer majoring in music, but she mm-hmm. started out. She plays the violin very well. Uh, one has, is completing his doctorate degree in bassoon performance from Indiana University, which is a very prestigious university. Wow! One has a bachelor's degree in percussion and uh, two grandkids for us now. And uh, one is uh, going into her senior year of viola performance. Um, And then we have a Mm nine-year-old that we're making take piano.
0: (laughs) So that's the only thing that you force them to do is to take piano.
1: They have to take piano. And from there they can... You know, branch out where they need to. Yeah.
0: Well, and then your family members have premiered some of your work as well.
1: I have written pieces and I'm I'm in the process of writing one right now for electric bassoon. It's an electric bassoon concerto.
0: I've never even heard of an electric bassoon.
1: Most people have not heard of electric bassoon. It's a it's a regular bassoon that you put a, a pickup on the vocal and you run it through effects, pedals, and things, and it can do all kinds of things.
0: And to give everyone an idea of what an electric bassoon sounds like, here is a recording of Keith's son Benjamin performing the piece Black Lion, composed by George Fettner.
1: it's gonna it's it's just an interesting you know i've never written for electric bassoon it's just not a common thing but my son plays Mm uh electric bassoon he's played with jazz bands it's almost it's almost like another guitar because you run it through the same kinds of effects and you can do all kinds of things with it so
0: Okay, so then when you're composing for it, do you say, okay, I want this effect, kind of like a prepared piano, like you say, this is how I want it set up, or do you leave that more to the performer?
1: Yeah, um, we'll be specific on um, what effects pedals that he has to use and and which um, channels to use to produce the sounds we want so so that it can be re-performed, and hopefully I can get it to make the sounds that I have in my mind. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay, because this completely fascinates me. So, what um what style of composition is this going to be? Is it going to lean more towards jazz, or are you going to go more avant garde with it?
1: The piece is called "In the Beginning." Okay, and it's going to be uh, seven short movements on creation myths from various places around the world. And wow. so, I'm what I'm hoping is that I can reflect something of where the myth comes from in the music but it will be probably a little uh avant-garde in places um you know my music is never too far out there but i do i i want to kind of stretch myself with my harmonic language my my style living in rural southern utah kind of limits the types of music that people like and want to listen to and so mm-hmm. i've had to tailor things a little bit this one i'm going to kind of pull out the stops and and uh let loose.
0: Oh, that's going to be amazing. Where is it going to be performed?
1: Uh, it will be performed here at the university. It's uh the orchestra director here has commissioned me to write this piece.
0: I know that will probably be after all the COVID lockdowns are yes. finished. But are you going to stream it so that I can watch it?
1: I believe it will be streamed. Yes.
0: Oh, okay. I want to watch that. That sounds really yeah. great.
1: Well, I hope it I hope it is. <laughs>
0: we'll see. <laughs> And I bet it's really nice when your family premieres your pieces, because then you can really give them uh, some input on this is how I want this to sound.
1: It is kind of fun. And, you know, as a composer, your hope is that it comes out sounding like you want it to sound and that they play it the right way. And reality is some things will and some things won't. But I'm always grateful for the attempt and, Mm and the performance. It's just a, a good relationship that I don't want to destroy by saying, You guys really blew it here and this supposed <laughs> to and I I also one of my philosophies in composing is that once I've written the piece, I rely heavily upon the conductor and performer to bring that to life. Mm-hmm. And it has to speak to them to be able to communicate to the audience. And so right. I'm pretty flexible in the way they interpret things as long as to them it makes sense. Okay. And it may be better because of what they have to bring to the table than my limited uh, tools. So um, I don't like to get in the way too much. Oh,
0: that's good. If they have
1: questions, I'll, I'll certainly answer them. But um, I, I tend to trust performers and I'm sometimes a little disappointed, but uh, sometimes I'm very pleased. So...
0: Now I watched actually it was your wife Tracy playing it the fantasy for piano and orchestra and it was huh? just gorgeous it's just one of my favorite of your pieces it is so beautiful Thanks. and she played it really beautifully too
1: She did. And um, that, uh, you know, that's the first piece I actually wrote for her. I've written things she's played and, uh, you know, choir pieces that she's accompanied and those kinds of things. Um, I wrote a piece in college for the BYU singers that had uh, two pianos and she was going to be playing one of them. And I knew it. And so I wrote the part hard for her, and she's she always griped about that. <laughs> I, I was not going to write something she could sight-read.
0: <laughs> she's been quite the influence.
1: So, so, you know, in a way, that was kind of written to her abilities, but uh, a piece really dedicated to her, that's kind of the first one. Really? And I don't know why that is, but I I was very happy with how it came off, and hopefully we can perform it again here soon. It's been about 10 years since I wrote
0: yeah. that. Yeah, I actually like the music to that. That was absolutely gorgeous. I would love to learn that one.
1: I can arrange that.
0: I think it's really special when there's a performance where the music just seems to match the performer perfectly and everything just works almost magically on that one. It was it was just such a pleasure to listen to. Thank you. And now knowing the story behind it, I can see why. Yeah. And that moves on to our second topic that we're going to talk about with spirituality in music. And I find that very fascinating. So I was wondering what your definition of spirituality when it comes to music is.
1: I I probably have a broader definition than a lot of people. My father was once asked to say something spiritual about music. And he said, that's rather like saying something wet about water. (laughs) Um, It's hard to separate the two for me. Um, music, I think good music is spiritual in nature to me, whether it's about a sacred topic or not. I think music allows voice to things that we can't otherwise express. So popular music has a place and I don't think that's necessarily spiritual music, though some of it can be. It will depend on the listener a great deal, whether they perceive it as spiritual or not. And I'm not the grand poobah that gets to say, that's not spiritual music. You can't think that's spiritual. <laughs> it, you know, it doesn't work that way. Spirituality right. in general is, you know, I think a deep and abiding faith in a, a greater power, which most of us think of as a god. And I think music has a way of allowing us to perhaps lift a veil of heaven a little bit and then that's only when the music is really well crafted and really well done the experience becomes so meaningful that it does have an impact on the rest of your life and you'd want to partake of that again and again and you know i know people that have gone through that and have had that incredible experience in a performance or even in a rehearsal that they for the rest of their life, hold dear and try to bring back in one form or another. Mm-hmm. And I, I, there are not too many things more spiritual in my mind than that.
0: Absolutely. So, when you're composing something, do you have that goal in mind, like, oh, this is going to be very spiritual or really great, or does the music just come and the spirituality is sort of a byproduct?
1: Music is, in in composing, is generally, uh, I would say, a very small portion of it is inspiration. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, most of it is just a lot of hard work. Uh And crafting your music to express, when I'm writing choir music, I really want to embody the text in a way that expresses the true intent of that text. And that allows it to speak more fully, that meaning to those who listen and those who perform. Mm -hmm. So it is always, if not foremost in my mind, it's always in my mind of how to do that and how to make it meaningful. And, you know, some of the things I write would probably not be considered spiritual, but I think most of them in my mind are, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, when I write about things in Southern Utah, about the canyons and the, the landscape. Um, I have in my mind that there is behind all this a supreme creator, and it's a way of of praising what he has done. So, though the music itself may not touch on a spiritual topic, the intent is definitely spiritual.
0: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: And I I see spirituality broadly in a lot of things. A lot of people will tell you that they go out in nature and that's the most spiritual time they have. Right. And I, you know, I would agree to some extent, but there are times involving music that I think are even more deeply spiritual to me. I love nature and I love going out in nature because I do feel a little closer spiritually to to God. But I think there are times in music when the language is able to reach further than just speech alone and go deeper and find things within you that uh, have maybe remained hidden for a while and teach you about yourself and about your relationship with God.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And that to me is perhaps the height of spirituality.
0: And it can come from an orchestral piece. It can come from a choral piece. It could come from something from church or something you hear on the radio. It really could come from anywhere.
1: And for for every person, it will be different depending on their experience. So like I say, I can't tell someone, you're listening to a country song for crying out loud, that's not spiritual. To them, from their experience, there's something in that song that reaches within them and pulls at them. Right. And just because it doesn't do that to me, doesn't mean it can't do that for them. Mm -hmm. So though I'm not a country music fan, I'm not going to tell someone who is that they're a a lesser individual, that their tastes (laughs) are baser than mine. Everyone has their own experience to bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things about music is that it can usually reach each of those experiences in a different way.
0: So what's the difference between a spiritual musical experience and just an emotional experience? And,
1: And this is a great question because Spiritual experiences are so often emotional experiences as well. Right. Feeling uh, a great, you know, being overcome by the spirit, so to speak. I, it's always, for me, emotional.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, you, you choke up, you, tears come to your eyes. Your heart is filled with, with love and gratitude, typically. Emotional experiences are often spiritual, but not always spiritual. And again, I'm not the one to tell which is which. It will depend on each individual. Though I, I think often we mistake emotional for spiritual,
0: mm-hmm.
1: especially in a religious setting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the challenges with with music in a religious setting is is the music just playing on your emotions, or is there a spiritual element to it? Right. And I, you know, I wish there were a definitive answer that says once you've crossed this line, it's no longer spiritual. It's just emotional because that line is so meandering Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or wide or however you want to picture that. You know, we can't define that for other people.
0: Right. And it's very interesting because sometimes when you watch a performance, you can see that someone's kind of faking it. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. it's not fully sincere that they're just and kind of going try
1: out those emotions for other people so that they can say it's spiritual.
0: Right. Right. Uh-huh. So there's not really like if you're paying attention, then you can kind of tell that they're not really connecting with what they're doing yeah.
1: there. You know, part of performing is acting and you can tell on stage when an actor is not in character.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's the same thing in music if you're paying attention that sometimes they're pretending something that is not felt.
0: So when you are teaching and with your choirs and your students and other performances, how do you give them advice on how to really connect with the music?
1: Each piece you try and, and give them that I, I hate to spoon feed them Mm -hmm. because again, my experiences may be different than theirs. And I, if I tell them every little thing that I'm feeling, it may or may not resonate with what they're feeling. So I try to give broad direction that helps them understand what the text is getting at. If there are images in the text that maybe aren't familiar to us, what do those things mean? And then let them draw their own conclusions and uh, you know, relate to the pieces they need to, to make it a, a, a spiritual or emotional experience for them. One mm-hmm. thing with, with performing is that you almost have to put a little bit of a wall up right. so that the emotions are put at bay for a little while. Otherwise, you end up crying and it ruins the piece, and you can't sing or you can't play your instrument. And that doesn't help anyone. <laughs> okay? I remember going to a funeral and seeing one of my former professors, uh, who was a fabulous singer, get up and sing a very emotional and spiritual number. And I was amazed at how well he did it. And he, he was sitting in front of me. And so when he came back to sit down, he sat down, put his he- head in his hands and just wept because he he put that wall up. Mm-hmm. And the emotions were put at bay for a time. And I've had the same kind of experience where I have sunk something And then as I'm walking down to my seat, the emotions come and I just, you know, I can't hold back the tears. But while you're performing, you can't allow yourself the luxury of all of that or you you ruin the performance.
0: Right. It's a very fine balance.
1: It's a very fine balance and, and one that is very difficult to negotiate. Um, and some people do better than others.
0: I would think especially with singing, I'm not much of a singer myself, but I can imagine with singing that getting choked up and starting to squeak is, no, not, that... is not great.
1: <laughs> I've seen it happen. And sometimes, you know, stopping and gathering yourself is OK. But it, if you continue to have that kind of emotion that breaks up the song, it kind of ruins the peace for everyone else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they can become emotional about you being emotional. Right. And and sympathize and uh, all of that, but the music isn't allowed to do what the music is designed to do. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you have any examples of like a really profound performance experience, either with your own composition or when you're performing someone else's compositions?
1: There there have been numerous times, and as a as a conductor, I can choke up
0: mm-hmm.
1: because I I can still wave my arms while tearing up. Uh, numerous times where I just am a little bit overcome with the beauty that the choir is producing. You know, one of those was probably, let's see, which trip was that we, we sang at a church and did a a piece called cross cry, which is about, about Jesus on the cross saying, take my mother home and, and all of the emotions that go along with, with that to Mary. And uh, you know, I just am uh, standing there crying as I conduct and hoping that no, none of the choir can tell
0: because if <laughs> I start crying, they're
1: going to start crying. And right.
0: <laughs> they're
1: just fine. But um, numerous times when those kinds of experiences have happened in, in each of the choirs I've directed and they, and they continue to happen.
0: If you could give any advice to someone who wants to be where you are or wants to be a conductor or wants to be a professor or wants to be a composer or to teach other people, what advice would you give them?
1: Um, run fast and <laughs> fall.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's a very challenging and sometimes rewarding career. It's not a financially rewarding typically career Uh I'm very fortunate I've done okay we don't have all the toys that our neighbors have Mm -hmm. Um, we spend our money on bassoons and violins and violas (laughs) Um, but uh, we have a good life we're able to live pretty much without worrying whether we're going to have food on the table the next day or the next week Uh, it was very difficult to start it took me three years from the time I finished my doctorate degree before I got a full-time position. That's common. Wow. What I would say is spend more time practicing. Um, even if you're the top of, of where you are, realize that there are thousands of universities around that have people just like you working just as hard. Right. So put your whole heart into it. Be committed. If this is something you really want to do, if it's kind of, maybe it'd be nice, find something else. If you're not willing to commit wholeheartedly to it, find something else. It's too hard of a path. Mm. You know, it, it's an opportunity if if you want to teach to have a great impact on others. And that's really why I chose this. And I hope I've been able to be something of a good influence and a, a strength and an encouragement to others along the way. That's why I really got into this and then be patient. Things tend to work out eventually. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it will go exactly how you thought because mine certainly has not. Um, but things tend to work out You talk about spiritual, have faith in that and keep at it. Be good. Be really good at what you do. And that's whether you go into music or something else. And do it the best It's you know that you can and that it's capable of being done. And things will work out.
0: Wow, thank you. Well, I know for a fact that you have made a positive impact on many, many, many people. Well, I appreciate you coming and talking with me and sharing all of your advice with all of our listeners. Thank you so much.
1: Well, it's been a pleasure.
0: Musicians vs. the World is a production of Frosted Lens Entertainment in conjunction with Smith Sound Music. A very special thank you to Dr. Keith Bradshaw for sharing his time, his insights, and his music with us today. In today's episode, we heard the following pieces composed by Keith Bradshaw and performed by the Orchestra of Southern Utah under the direction of Shun Sun. Canyon Concerto with percussionist Lynn Farton as soloist. Fantasy for Piano and Orchestra with pianist Tracy Bradshaw as soloist, and American Suite with Natalie Bradshaw on violin and Hannah Bradshaw on viola as soloists. You can find out more about the Orchestra of Southern Utah at myosu.org. Today you also heard Benjamin Bradshaw performing Black Lion, a piece composed for Amplified Bassoon with Guitar effects pedals by George Fetner. You can hear more of George Fetner's music on his website, georgefettner.com. And a big thanks to him for giving us permission to share his piece in our podcast episode today as well. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow us or subscribe to us so that you don't miss out on any future conversations. And if you're feeling so inclined, please write us a review anywhere that you get your podcasts. That helps other people to find us as well. If there is a topic that you'd like to discuss, or if you have any suggestions for episodes, please reach out to us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or send us an email at infofrostedlens.com. At Thanks so much. One more thing before you go. This is actually only half of my conversation with Dr. Bradshaw. Remember at the beginning of the episode where I mentioned that he founded the music program at Southern Virginia University? Well, that's actually where I met him because my husband was one of his choir members at that university. And Dr. Bradshaw had a whole other episode's worth of interesting stories about how he had started a university music program from scratch. It's a great back-to-school episode, so I'm tucking it away for a couple of months until school gets back in session. So be sure to keep an eye out for more from Dr. Keith Bradshaw.